0: The book of James has been a great important book speaking about wisdom and we certainly need wisdom. The book of James is the book of wisdom for the New Testament Christian. As we continue with the book of James, we now find ourselves into chapter number five. The book of James and chapter Number five, and as we look through this passage here, let's see a little bit more about the practicality, the wisdom of living our everyday life that is recorded in the book of James. James chapter five, and notice with me in verse one. James five in verse one, Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and ye and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who reap down your fields, which of you is kept by, by fraud. Crieth, the cries of them that have reaped have entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruits of the earth, and have long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience." Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard the patience of Job, and you have seen the end of the Lord. The Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. And with this, notice a very important phrase that we find in the book of James in chapter number five. James chapter five in verse number eight, notice the end of it, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And with this, we understand as we look through the book of James and applying wisdom to our days, how is a one way that we live our life to wisdom? When we understand this principle that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Jesus is coming again. Our attitude towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ determines the quality of the Christian life. You could believe that Jesus Christ is coming in theory, but it's a different thing if you really believe that he is coming. There is a difference. We know that belief affects behavior. Let me give it just a different side example. There are Christians who intellectually understand the doctrine of hell, meaning that the doctrine of hell is for those who have not accepted Jesus as their savior, and real people go there. We can intellectually understand that. But to actually believe that doctrine means that your loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ as their savior are going to go to that awful place called hell, that your next door neighbor who you've lived with next for a while, if they don't know Jesus Christ, your savior will die and go to hell. If you believe that, then your behavior will reflect that. If you knew that someone was going to hell, wouldn't you do everything you could to beg them not to go? Belief affects behavior. The same thing true with the doctrine of Christ that Christians like to say, oh, Jesus is coming again. We sing the song, coming again. We we sing it and we're intellectually, yay. But if you believe that, your behavior will follow. So the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that doctrine will change the quality of the Christian's life. It becomes a practical truth that comes on a day-to-day basis if you believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. We know that he has promised that this same Jesus shall in like manner come again. This Jesus is coming back. Christ's ascension reminds us of his second coming. He rose again and he's coming back down. It's possible to know this truth Intellectually, but not be transformed by it. What happens in our Christian life as a practicality if we truly believe Jesus Christ is coming again? The first thing I'd like to show you is the coming of the Lord and our possessions. The coming of the Lord and our possessions. In America, of course, we are in a land full of possessions. The problem is, for most Americans, possessions possess people that more people want to do with things of stuff. They want their stuff. Notice, if you don't mind, as we see this principle in (laughs) chapter 5, verse 1, chapter 5, James chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. (laughs) Your gold and silver can and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Notice this, shall be a witness against you and you shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. Here we find something here that your treasures will be a witness against you. In here, it's talking about someone who saved up. And when they saved up, what's going to happen is that you're going to look and find your gold is all corrupted. Your treasures are going to be all gone away. The rust of all the things you can imagine your car that you love so much, what is it going to be like in 20 years? (laughs) Rust falling apart, especially if it's up here that long. You love that thing and you have invested everything into it. You poured your heart into it. And then what, 20 years, no one's going to drive it. Be lucky if it's not already in a junkyard. It's going to be gone. But you invested so much time into it. You put your love and affection to it. Your house, you know that one day someone else will live in your house? But I put so much into my house. I put my love and my affection. Yeah, but then someone else is going to have it. Our possessions are actually going to be a witness to us because it shows that we, all these treasures that we have left over They could have been used for something else. We investigate heaps of stuff. In fact, it uses that phrase of the idea of heaps. Uh, You have heaped treasure together for the last days. If you decided that you were going to collect gold bars, which is illegal in the United States, but let's say that you did. Someone is going to have those gold bars. It's not going to do you any good when you die. You've never seen a hearse behind a U-Haul or a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take the stuff with you. All that is going to do that's left behind is going to be a testimony, a witness against you that you were investing in the wrong world. The second coming of Jesus Christ lets us know Christ is coming back. If he's coming back, there's another world to serve and to work for and to invest. And that what I do now matters as we're going through the millennial kingdom series. We know that it directly matters what we do now will affect us for a thousand years. Could you imagine spending all of your life, all of your affection, all of the thing to put your life invested in something in this world? And then realize that it's all withered away, it disappeared, and then for a thousand years you have nothing to show for. Was it really worth the investment? But if you invest in souls, your time, your effort to see people get saved, for missionaries, for the things of the church to be able to to invest. I understand we're not saying that you live in a stoic life. You should be able to enjoy the life that you have. You understand that. But there's a difference in pouring your life into something that's going to be disappeared. I can still enjoy my life and pour myself out for the Lord. Does it make sense? It's what are you investing in? I can invest for the next world and enjoy it during the thousand year reign of Christ and have those rewards to show for it. Why, what changes, what changes what someone lives for when they believe that Jesus Christ is coming back and that we're going to have to give an account and that there is something beyond this life. If you live for just the temporary, if you just live for the now, then you're going to miss out. It is the wrong investment. In fact, Jesus speaks about this a couple different times. Hold your finger here in the book of James and turn with me, if you don't mind, first of all, the gospel record of Matthew. Let's just see what Jesus has to say about these things. Notice, if you don't mind, James, or Matthew chapter 6, the gospel record of Matthew chapter 6. And notice with me in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. The Bible says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That makes sense. That where you put your investment is where your heart is. You could invest your life into getting as many toys as possible, but you see where your heart is. It's on toys. I could invest my life on building a building with my name on it, and it's so high, it's going to be a sky. I could pour my life into that thing, but my heart's going to be there too. But where your heart is or where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's why when people start investing in the church, they're going to start seeing that their heart's there. They don't, once you start giving money to the church, as an example, you don't want it to see it fail. Amen. <laughs> you want your investment to go forward. Your heart's going to start become part of it. Well, when you start investing for eternity, that's where my heart's going to be. I'm working for eternity. I'm working to see what happens. But here we have the same concept that James was just making a reference for of something Jesus already said. You could live your life here and watch it all corrupt and go away. And at the very end, you can't take any of it with you. Or you can invest in the other world. And where your heart is, is where your treasure is. Where you see this idea. I can invest in my love of my truck. And then my truck's gonna belong to someone else or get junked out. Mm -hmm. Was it worth the investment? Notice again as Jesus makes another reference of this in the gospel record of Luke, chapter 12. The gospel record of Luke, chapter 12. It is not wrong to have possessions, but it is wrong when possessions have you. What do we mean by that? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? If the possessions have your heart for where your treasure is, there's your heart also. If the possessions have your heart, then that's a wrong and evil thing. You have the wrong investment. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Notice with me verse 13. Luke chapter 12 verse 13. And one of the companies said unto him, Master... Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. So this guy comes busting into Jesus and Jesus, you tell my brother to share. It's not right. You, you, I'm, Daddy, you know, you ever have a kid? Mom, he's not sharing. Yeah. So this guy does it to Jesus. An adult guy comes up to Jesus. Jesus, can, can you make him share with me? So notice what Jesus says. And he said to them, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Listen, now we know that Jesus is God, but listen, this isn't something you need to go take to someone else. Solve it yourself. Then Jesus begins to teach them because of this guy. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, A ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul! Thou has much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So we'll go on to the parable in just a second. But here's the scene. Here's a guy who is a farmer. And in this, he had years where the ground grew and he got lots of crops. And he now has more crops than he knows what to do with. He has filled all of his current barns. So his idea was, let's build bigger barns. So I could put more stuff, and I could store it, and I could have enough to retire on. I could have enough for plenty. Look at this. And then he gets to the place where he says, I've got so much stuff, I don't have to work anymore. I'm just going to take some time off, and I'm going to play, and I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to do whatever I want. And you know what God called him? Notice with me in verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, thou fool. God called him a fool. This night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou provided? Here's this rich man who spent all of his life investing. Now he had all the stuff. He had heaps of stuff. Then he dies. Whose is it now? Not yours. You work so hard to give your stuff to someone else. You know what garage sales are? It's a testimony of our covetousness. At one time we had something we just had to have and then we sell it for like pennies. Our stuff. Notice it was a bad investment. If you get to the place where you're at the garage sale and you're selling a whole lot of stuff, it probably wasn't as good of an investment as we thought they were at the time. I just had to have it. you like your meddling preacher, I know. It's verse 21. So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Well, that's powerful. He that layeth up treasures for himself is not rich towards God. You have to choose who you're investing in. How do I make the choice? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Do you believe that Jesus really is coming back? That means there's a world yet to come. Which world are we investing in? This world or the next? We need to invest into eternity. The way that we invest in eternity when we realize Jesus Christ is coming back. With that, turn with me back to the book of James. So we start off with the coming of the Lord and our possessions. Then we come to another principle. The coming of the Lord and our patience. The coming of the Lord and our patience. Back to James chapter 5. This year we've also placed a great emphasis on the principle of waiting on God. Mm -hmm. Hey, guess what this is going to be dealing with? Waiting on God. God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, we'll learn how to wait on him. Notice the word patience and how many times this passage puts the word patience. Chapter 5, notice with me if you don't mind starting verse 7. James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore. So because of this, because of what you were just taught, be patient. Be patient, brethren. Notice the people of address. Brethren, this carries the idea of our spiritual brethren. People have accepted Christ as their Savior. He is not speaking to lost people in this passage. He's speaking to saved people. So brethren, be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. So we start off here that we could see this patience of the Lord. It starts off with the idea of a farmer that the farmer's patient. So we live here in an agricultural society in Wisconsin. The farmer, when the snow finally stops, is gonna till the ground and he's gonna plant the plants. After he plants the plants, he's not gonna go out in the field and say, come on, grow, <laughs> come on. Now, I planted you yesterday, why do not you growing? Why not? Because it requires patience to see the crop go. That's something that we have to learn is patience. Learn to wait on God. Do you know that the farmer, and many of us understand this living in agriculture country, that once the farmer has done all that he can to plant the ground, uh, to till the ground, that after that he is pretty much helpless. It's now dependent on God to grow. There's nothing he can do to make that plant grow. Now, he could till the ground, he could pull out the weeds, he could do everything he can, but it's really out of his hands after he's done everything he can. If we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, we also believe that Jesus Christ is in charge, we have to learn to wait on God and realize it's not dependent on us. When you are not patient, it is a revelation you are not waiting on. God. We have to learn this principle. When you are not patient, that means you're not dependent on God. You're not dependent on God. Can you trust him? That's where it comes down to. Can I trust him? Why do we get so impatient? Because we feel like it's up to us. If it's up to God, we can allow him to do his work. It's all dependent on him. Notice again, as we're going to see this idea of patience. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. He's going to wait until it happens. Verse 8 be ye also patient, establish your hearts. That word s- establish carries the idea to stabilize, to establish, to build that foundation that you could stay on. Whenever we are impatient and we're not stable, shows that we're not depending on the Lord. If I truly trust God, then I'm going to be even keel. I'm going to be level. I'm going to be established. I'm not going to be panicking. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Some of you live there, right? If the sky is falling, it means we're not trusting God. If we're trusting in God, it doesn't matter what happens. We are established. We're stable. We're steady. We're steadfast. You understand, this all comes with the coming of the Lord. Can I trust him? As a practical thing, if I trust him, it will show up on me being stable, calm. I can trust that God will get his work done in time. I trust him. There's a calmness that comes with waiting on God. Be ye also patient. Establish your heart. Why? For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. God is coming. God is going to do what he said he was going to do. We can trust him. So we had the patience of the farmer. We have here also the patience of the prophets. Notice in verse 9. Grudge not one against another brethren... Now, again, this is talking about Christians, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. God tells us as Christians, we're supposed to learn to love one another and to deal with one another and solve the problems. If we're at conflict with one another, can you imagine when Christ comes back and he finds us that we're at odds with each other? You understand the coming of the Lord should change our behavior, now, when Jesus Christ comes back, we will have the conversations up in the millennial kingdom. Hey, so where was you at when Jesus came back? Man, I was in church. Me personally, where was you when you, when Christ was coming back? I had my Bible open and I had saw that last sinner showed him that he needed Jesus Christ. And the moment that he bowed his head to pray, we were out of there, brother. Woo! I was the one to show the laugh. That's what I want. Well, there's going to be some people in the millennial kingdom. So, uh. Where was you at when Jesus came? I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Amen. I don't want to talk about it. Why? Because we were in a place we weren't supposed to be. We were in a position that we were supposed to be. We had an attitude that we weren't supposed to have. What happened? Where was you when Christ came back? I was in the middle of choking my brother. I was at the place where I was so bitter with someone, and I was so mad, and I was plotting against them. Man, that's going to be awful. If you believe that Christ is coming back, we should be as right with possible. This should change the way that we live. We learn to be patient with others and how to deal with others because Christ is coming back. By the way, Christ has been very patient with us. Notice in verse 10. Take my brethren, the prophets. So now we're going to have the example of the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Go ahead and read a prophet and their life. None of them had easy times. You take someone like Jeremiah, preached for 40 years, didn't have a convert. Forty years, no one wanted to listen. His message was that God was going to destroy the city of Jerusalem if you don't get right. And no one got right. So God destroyed the city of Jerusalem. After they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the people came to Jeremiah. All right, Jeremiah, we're ready to listen. You tell us what to do. You go to God and you go get instructions and we'll do that. Jeremiah says, God said, stay here and don't go to Egypt. The people said, no, you're out of your mind. Why would we stay here? Of course we're going to Egypt. And by the way, you're coming with us. I don't want to go. I don't care what you want. You're coming with us. But you said you're going to obey God. Oh, I don't care. You're just, no. So they take Jeremiah. They couldn't take him to Egypt. Jeremiah's been kidnapped. And the people said, all right, Jeremiah, now that we got you here, tell us what the Lord says. So he preaches to him some more. And they're like, we hate your message. We don't even know why you're here. And they killed him. They kidnapped him. That was nice. (laughs) He was patient with them. You take an Isaiah. Old prophet. Preached through king after king after king. Helped see miracles occur. Gave us what we often tongue in cheek say the gospel record of Isaiah. Because it talks so much about Christ. And then you had wicked King Manasseh said, you know what? I know that you've been the prophet for the kings for the last four or five kings, but you know what? I'm tired of you and put a 90 year old Isaiah inside of a hollowed out log and then cut the log in sunder with Isaiah in it. You read prophet after prophet and you're going to see the same thing. And you know what? They had patience. They said, listen, we're trusting God to do a work. We're trusting God to do a work and we're not gonna waste our time being mad and angry with people. We're gonna let God do what he needs to do. That's an example of patience that they suffered for righteous sake. We get upset if someone looks at us crazy. We get mad if someone cuts us off in traffic. It Doesn't take much for us to lose our minds for something going on. Why? Because we're not trusting in God. We're not waiting on God. We're not patient with God. We're not trusting that God will get some work done. We lose our minds. And the prophets are an example to us that we can trust God no matter what they throw at us. But but they kill them and I don't want to be killed. You understand you're investing either in this world or the next world. They were investing in the next world. And they're going to have rewards to show for it. And a thousand years worth of stuff. What's which easier to have. Five years worth of stuff or a thousand years? Which, which one's a better investment? Well, a thousand years. They said we could trust God. We could wait on God. The coming of the Lord. Notice we have the farmer. We have the prophet. But notice it goes to the patience of Job. Notice in verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Notice that. That sounds awful. We count them happy that endure. You mean Jeremiah was happy? He was happy because he could trust God. You said it doesn't make sense. I know. It makes sense when you learn to trust God. And that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful. And of tender mercies. Here we have Job as an example. That Job was able to wait on God. Remember, all of his stuff was taken away. And one day he was notified he lost all of his finances. He lost all of his wealth. He lost all of his animals. And then he lost all of his kids. He heard that in the space of one hour he earned how ruined he was. What did he say? Neck it came, I out into this world when I end this world blessed be the name of the Lord I can trust God this is that idea of patience he can trust God can you trust God? if you trust God it will show up practically in your life and we have the examples of these people in the Bible who are real literal people who trusted God and it was evidenced by their life. Patience desires to have a perfect work. If you remember in the very book, first part of James, we covered that patience desireth to have her perfect work. When we learn to trust in God, God does a work in us. Of this purifying, this making us, this molding us when we trust God. So we have the coming of the Lord in our possessions, the coming of the Lord in our patience. Then let's end up with the coming of the Lord and our purity, the coming of the Lord and our purity. Every personal standard we have should grow out of our desire to live a holy life and be as pure as the Lord desires us to be. Live your life with as little question marks as possible in your life. We are to live our life with a ruling presence in his life. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Notice with me in verse number um, 12. Above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Now, <laughs> today's world has changed so much since some of us when we were kids. Today's world, you can't trust anybody. You have to get your signature on every little thing in triplicate. Mm -hmm. Why? Because people don't keep their word. What it's speaking about here is that you should not need a contract in order for you to do what you said you're gonna do. If you say you're gonna do it, do it. If you say you're not gonna do it, good. But don't live your life with the question marks. There are plenty of people that said, yeah, preacher, I'll call you back. And um, I just never assume that they're ever going to call me back. Hey, preacher, I'm going to be there to help. (laughs) I don't count on them to be in there. If they show up, I'm still surprised. I may not show up my face, but I wasn't expecting you. Why? Because people don't keep their word. but that should not be for a Christian. If we truly believe that what we do matters, that we're going to stand before God and give an account, and then when Christ comes, we're going to face him, we should live our lives as pure as possible. (laughs) Excuse me. We should live our lives in such a way that there are no question marks. We should live our life in such a way that people know that we're going to do what we said we're going to do. If I said I'm going to do something, people should be able to write it down that pastor is going to do this, that I'm going to do this. That should be the way that we live our life. There should be a purifying thing. As we go through the Bible, there are plenty of passages that deal with this subject that, excuse me, uh, that we should... Um, if we're looking at Jesus Christ coming, it should change the way we live our life. We change our speech. We change the way that we live. We just modify our vocabulary. Sorry, brain damage. Um, turn with me, if you don't mind, one last passage. 1 John chapter 3. 1 uh, John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but... We know that when he shall appear, we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This carries the idea that if you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, (laughs) that we'll change the way that we live our life. That we will get rid of things in our life because we're going to be like him. Let's go ahead and start being like him now. He's going to change us. We know that this idea that Jesus Christ coming back should practically <laughs> ch- change the way that we live our life. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me beg you to take the time